this is the universe. Big, isn't it? Thousands of suns, millions of stars, separated by immense distances and by thin, floating clouds of gas. The starlight makes the gas transparent. Where there are no stars, it appears as dark, obscuring clouds, like that great black cone over there. Look, there's a nova. A whole solar system exploded. Someone must have been messing around with the uranium atom. No, it's not our solar system, I'm glad to say. Ah, those are called a globular cluster of stars. Rather fine. And down here, in the right-hand corner, see that little chap rather like a Boy Scout's badge? It's a mass of gas expanding at thousands of cubic miles a minute. Ah, here we are. We're getting near a home. The moon, our moon, in the first quarter. And here's the Earth. Our Earth, moving around in its place. Part of the pattern. Part of the universe. Reassuring, isn't it? Does that sound familiar? Yes, those words are spoken right at the start of Powell and Pressburger's film, A Matter of Life and Death. The film about the English airman in the Battle of Britain who crashes his plane and then has to argue his way out of heaven to get back to the woman he's fallen in love with. Although it's not heaven, of course. They never use the H word in the film. Powell and Pressburger wrote that to do so would be far too limiting. Mention the word heaven and people start to think of puffy white clouds and choirs of angels. Now the pilot, Peter Carter, crashes his plane and wakes up in another world. And that's as far as they take it. Another world, on top of a great staircase. A staircase lined with statues of Alexander the Great, Lincoln, Confucius, Beethoven, Plato and Shakespeare. Enough to make the imagination run riot. So this is where our latest folly adventure starts off then. In another world. A homage to Powell and Pressburger's other world. But who is our Peter Carter? Well, it's Robert Dornut the actor, who, incidentally, didn't play Peter Carter in A Matter of Life and Death. That was David Niven. No, Robert Dornat, in our latest folly book, is simply Robert Dornat, the actor from Manchester who won the Academy Award in 1939 for playing Charles Chipping in Goodbye Mr Chips. And he played Richard Hanney in Alfred Hitchcock's The 39 Steps. You know, The 39 Steps? The organisation of spies collecting information on behalf of the Foreign Office took for the shot. So why is Robert Dornat the star of our show then? Simply because he was a Mancunian? Well, that's as good a reason as any, I'd say, and it's good enough reason if you happen to be a Mancunian like me. But being a northerner and being a movie star in the 1930s and 1940s really was quite something. And Robert Dornat was not just any actor. Not only did he win that Academy Award we were talking about only a minute ago, but he was considered at the time to be in the same league as Laurence Olivier, John Gielgud and Ralph Richardson, who were the acting titans of their age. Of course, those three didn't speak with the Northern accent on film, and neither did Robert most of the time. He had elocution lessons in Withington when he was a boy. The lessons helped him to overcome a stutter and to turn his Northern accent on and off like a tap. But even when he wasn't speaking with his northern accent, his received pronunciation had softer, warmer edges.
because of his northern sensibility. It wasn't clipped or high-toned, like Olivier's regal voice, for example. It was highly irregular in those days for a leading man in a heroic role to speak with a regional accent in a film. But everything changed. The 1960s came along, and the Beatles, and they didn't even try to cover their Liverpoolian accents. Regional accents in films were suddenly in vogue in all those kitchen sink dramas and new wave films from the likes of Lorch, Lawsey, Tony Richardson and John Schlesinger. And to show things had come full circle, the older generation of actors were all falling over themselves to get with a new wave too. So Laurence Olivier spoke with an accent in The Entertainer, for example, and Laurence Harvey and James Mason both spoke with northern accents in Room at the Top and Spring and Portwine. But what about our northern hero, Robert Dorner? He never lived to see the new wave. He died young in 1958, just as this change in British cinema was taking place. But he did make one film explicitly set in the north, A Cure for Love, which came out in 1950 and was an adaption of a play by Walter Greenwood, who also wrote Love on the Dome. The film came before its time in many ways, a kitchen sink drama made well before the 1960s. It's just the same shame that Robert Dornot never made it a little further into his career. He had acute asthma, you see, which worsened as he got older and caused numerous bouts with ill health, which limited his career and stopped it progressing as it should have done. He died at 53, just after he had finished filming The Inn of the Sixth Happiness with Ingrid Bergman. So what's the story then? How does Robert Dornut fit into folly? Well, we meet him in Powell and Pressburger's Otherworld, and he's wondering if he might be about to go through old age for the second time. So to dust off the cobwebs, he decides to go on a journey. Hopeless journeys do seem to be the theme of folly. In fact, they are the theme. Think back to the man launching all those balloons into the sky over England. He achieves nothing from the experience. The girl he's doing it all to impress hates it. The people in the towns and villages they cover want to turn them all down. But his efforts make for a pretty picture, and a pretty picture in the world of folly is everything. And what about Mr Ayrton? Well, he travels from Kew to Ireland and back to find a precious flower, and then he loses it after a night on the drink. And our singer, in the last book? Well, to quote another singer, Scott Walker, and his song The Seventh Seal, our singer's life was a vain pursuit of meaningless miles as he travelled from gig to gig. So what kind of a journey is Robert Dorner on? Well, he's like the baseball player, Shoeless Joe Jackson, in that film from a few years back, Field of Dreams. You know, if you build it, they will come. He's just like Shoeless Joe and his baseball team, the 1920 Chicago White Sox, when they turn up in Kevin Costner's cornfield in Iowa in 1986. He's found a path back to our world. Only instead of a cornfield in Iowa, Robert Donut turns up in Waterloo Station and decides to look up the love of his life. So he goes on a journey. And that, as they say, is the ball game. Thank you.